my wife is still gone and I'm wasting away. <laughs> I've lost a couple pant sizes, not really. <laughs> Opening up those cans of soup, that's really hard work, you know what I mean? Making a tuna fish sandwich. <clears throat> the second thing I want to say is that um, next Sunday, after church, we're having our Thanksgiving potluck. And most of you know we pull out all the nine yards, so to speak, and we have a wonderful feast. We're going to have a Thanksgiving service as well. And it just happens that David reaches a pinnacle point in his life and he does some life review. And he looks back and he sees his God's hand of tender mercy. He's thankful despite all the difficulties what God has done for him. It's a good time to invite friends and family. If you know someone, invite them to church next Sunday. I've already invited a man that I met at the gym, and he's been living in he and his wife in Perry City for a couple years now. And I said, you guys go to church? He said, we used to, but we haven't been in church in a long time. We just moved here from Colorado a couple years ago. I said, come to church. I give you a personal invitation. He said, I'll be there. So invite someone to church next Sunday. The third thing I want to share with you is that it's Gene and Nikki's 50th wedding celebration right after church today. And Nikki said, I put up with him for 50 years. <laughs> no. <laughs> she didn't say that. Uh, but we want to celebrate their 50th uh, wedding after, after church today. So you say, well, I don't like to have dessert. Well, go downstairs, get a piece of cake, say congratulations, and take the cake home. That's what I'm going to do. You want dessert after church before you eat. So keep your finger there at 2 Samuel chapter 16. Pull out those message notes and just follow along. And um, let's pray together. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help me to share this message today. Thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I remember reading about a hungry tramp. There was a hungry tramp that was looking for a handout. And he came to this quaint inn in a English setting, countryside. And he noticed that the sign on the on the uh, on this pub, this inn, said Saint George and the Dragon. Saint George and the Dragon. So he went up to the back door and he knocked on the back door. He's hungry, he's homeless, he knocks on the back door, and a cook opens the door. And he said, ma'am, I'm, I'm homeless, I'm hungry. She could tell by the way he looked, he was dirty and disheveled. I'm hungry and, and I need something to eat. Would you, do you have anything you can give me to eat? And she said, looking up and down at him, she said, no way, you're a bum. Why don't you work like everybody else? Get out of here. And so he made his way out around the corner and got back on the street. And he looked back up there at that sign. And he noticed it one more time. St. George and the Dragon Inn. So he went back to the kitchen area. And he knocked on the door. And he said to her, when she answered the door, Can I speak to St. George this time? 
Like that callous cook, we often make people ask, it's true, we make people ask a second time to get past the dragon inside of us. Sometimes we'd rather sit on the judgment seat than on the mercy seat. Now, I'm going to ask you some rhetorical questions. I think I know the answer to this. I hope I know the answer to it. But when somebody really hurts you or when someone says something about you or they say someone about your loved one, when they stab you in the back, so to speak, what is your response? What is your response? Do we ask God to help us to forgive them? Do we go on and say, God, just give me grace, give me tender mercy to forgive that person? Or do we um, um, forgive them conditionally? You see, a lot of people opt for one of three different responses. Instead of forgiving unconditionally, they offer one of three responses. Notice on the overhead. Number one is, if the if only forgiveness, this is conditional forgiveness, if, if only forgiveness, I will forgive you if, or I will forgive you as soon as you do whatever. As soon as you come back and apologize to me, as soon as you jump through my hoops, as soon as you jump through my personal conditions, then I'm going to forgive you. The second is what I call half-hearted forgiveness. Half-hearted forgiveness. And that's less than perfect forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but don't expect me to forget. I'll forgive you, but don't expect me to forget. Or I'll forgive you, but just get out of my life. Don't have anything to do with me. Have you ever done that before? Been offended by someone and, and, and been hurt by someone and you saw them at the grocery store and you did not want to walk down the same aisle so you went down a different aisle. I'm sure it happens down here at Chester's, our community center. Number three, the third response is slow forgiveness. I'll forgive you when I get around to it. I'll forgive you after I hold this over your head for a little while. Someday, sometime, I'll follow through and I'll forgive you. And this is the most common reaction to somebody who has been hurt very, very deeply and has nursed that hurt over the years. Now, years ago, there was a man that made a major, major mistake when he was first married. Newlywed made a major mistake. And for 30 plus years, this is a true story, for 30 plus years, his wife held this over him year after year after year until she got cancer. And she was dying on her deathbed and she said to her husband, please forgive me for holding this over your head. I am so sorry. And with tears in his eyes, he said, why did you wait all of these years? We both have been absolutely miserable. Conditional responses to forgiveness. I'll forgive you, but give me some time. Now, these conditional responses to forgiveness, the Bible indicates, not only affects other people, but it affects us. Jesus talked about in a parable about forgiveness. He said that if you do not forgive, you can be put in a self made prison, a self-made cage of resentment and bitterness. And like that Charles Dickens's character, Scrooge, we can become half the person that God wants us to become because we become shriveled up with a lack of forgiveness. You say, Pastor Ron, how? 
I know how important it is for my spiritual health. I know how important it is for my physical health. I know how important it is for my relational health. How can I forgive? How can I have what we would call a forgiving spirit? Now, I openly confess, I have to be vulnerable and I have to be honest with you. I openly confess that a number of years ago, I could not have preached this message. Thank God the Lord has helped me to completely forgive. And while I don't feel any resentment toward anyone today, I still wrestle with this issue on a regular basis. And I think that you do as well. Every week, it seems, every single week, it seems like every single day that I have to come to terms with letting some offense go that wants to linger and that will lead me back to resentment. I have to deal with it. I have to deal with it on the on the offense level or I'm a goner. Did you hear what I said? I'm a goner. And I know that about myself. If I didn't before realizing it, I'd be all the way back to revenge. You just have to let it go. Now let's look at David's example of complete forgiveness this morning. And this is an absolutely great place to do this because David has reached his lowest point. We say that week after week, but really this is his lowest point. David sinned with Bathsheba and the prophet came to him and said, as a result, your baby that you had with Bathsheba is going to die and his baby died. The prophet said, your wives will be taken advantage of in public and that happened. The prophet said, as a result of your sin with Bathsheba, in addition to those two things, number three, your son will overthrow you and kick you off the throne and will be after you wanting to take your own life. And that absolutely happened. Absalom, his son, tried to overthrow him and booted him off temporarily off the throne. Now David is at rock bottom. It may very well have been at this particular moment that David wrote Psalm 40. Listen to this. Evils beyond number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I cannot see, and my heart has failed me. David had unblinded tears. The overwhelming guilt and the pressure made his heart want to explode. In this particular state and in this particular uh situation that he finds himself in this state of depression and hurting, anxious thoughts begin to come, hit him in every single way. And it was at this particular moment that this character that I, I have named Shema comes along and blow by blow hits David at the most vulnerable and lowest point in his life. Shema is no sheltering tree. Last week we talked about friendship and how David had a sheltering tree. Shema is no sheltering tree. To put it bluntly, this Shema character is an absolute jerk. Ever known anybody that's a jerk? A third-rate klutz who hits a guy below the belt at seemingly the worst time. Alexander White writes, quote, about this Shema character. He calls him a reptile of the royal house of Saul, a remnant from Saul's household. I want you to notice verses 5 through 8 with me. Look at it with me. As King David approached Barum, a man from the same clan as Saul's family came out from there. His name was Shema, son of Gera, and he cursed as he came out. He also pelted David with all the 
king and the king's officials with stones, though all the troops and the special guards were on David's right and left. As he cursed, Shema said, Get out of here, get out of here, you man of blood, you scoundrel. The Lord has repaid you for all the blood you shed in the household of Saul, in whose place you have reigned. The Lord has handed the kingdom over to your son Absalom. You have come to ruin because you are a man of blood. Now, I want you to listen to how the Living Bible Translation uh, indicates this particular, uh, what he's saying here. He says, get out of here, you murderer, you scoundrel, he shouted at David. The Lord is paying you back for murdering King Saul and his family. That was a lie. For you stole his throne. That was another lie. The Lord had given David the throne. And now the Lord has given it to your son. That's a third lie. The Lord never gave David's son the throne. Um, Absalom took it. At last you will will taste some of your own medicine, you murderer. Now, Shema again is a basic lowlife. He's hitting a guy below the belt at the worst time. He's the kind of person that kicks you while you're down on your face. Boom, boom, kick, kick. And when you squirm, squirm, he comes back with another blow. Now, this Shema character, in addition to those things I said, he has no common sense. No common sense. You say, what are you talking about? He has no filter for his mouth, and he has no filter for his actions. He's stupid. He's absolutely stupid. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? David has huge warriors on both sides of him while the Shema character is cursing David out and while he's throwing rocks at David and had his warriors. Don't you call that a stupid guy? I want you to notice verse 9 with me. Look at what it says. And as a response, a response to this, another man steps forward, the Abishab, son of Zero, said to the king, Why should this dead dog curse my lord the king? Let me go over and cut off of his head. Now how much more direct can you get? David, let me at him. Let me go over there and cut this guy's throat off. It won't be any major loss whatsoever. In fact, the quicker the better. Let me at this guy, David. I'll cut his head off. He won't know what hit him. I want to tell you something. If you don't realize it, very simple. If you are in any leadership position, any leadership position in your home, we're all leaders in our home, in our community, at your workplace, in the church, you can expect that you're going to be put down, you're going to be criticized, and you're going to have all kinds of individuals who will say things and do things that will offend you. You can just count on it. You can count on that. That you will have individuals and you will have people who will intentionally and unintentionally say things and do things that will make you mad and that will make you upset and that will put you down. You can just absolutely count on it as the sun rises and as the sun sets. That's absolutely true. And you can also count, number two, that there will be people who will come to your defense, beat your spouse, be your child, be your grandchild, be it a co-worker, be it a person in the church. They will come to your defense and often they don't have the right perspective and often they will give you the wrong advice. They'll give you the wrong advice. For David, 
it was this character by the name of Abishah. Abishah. Hey, you don't have to take that stuff off of anybody. Don't take that stuff off of anybody. Let me handle it. Boy, I'll get to that guy and I'll, I'll cut him off at the knees. I'll cut him by the throat. Don't let him walk all over you. Just cut him off. Sue the guy, whatever it may be. Now, Shema has come to David at a hard moment. He's not only thrown rocks. He's, he's not only cursed David. He has lied three times in his personal attack. He, he is way out of line. David has done nothing to warrant this public assault. But they come, nevertheless, David now has a choice. He has a choice. He can be offended. He can become resentful. He can take revenge in his own hands. Or he cannot do any of these things. He can take the high road. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, verse 10. But the king said, What do you and I have in common you sons of zero, if he's cursing me because the Lord, perhaps the Lord has said that to him. Curse David. Who can ask, why do you do this? If David said that once in his lifetime, he must have said it a half a dozen times because everybody knew that the sons of zero had short tempers. They had very, very short fuses. Every one of them had a chip on their shoulder, always ready to fight. But the Bible says, despite the fact that Zero said, cut off his head, let me have it, the Bible says that David refused to retaliate. He refused to retaliate. He refused to get even. In fact, David's response in 10, 10 through 12, look at it one more time. If he's cursing because the Lord said to him, curse David, who can ask why you do this? Now look at uh, verse 12. It may be, it may be that the Lord will see my distress and repay me with good for the cursing I am receiving today. Church, now do you understand what's happening here? And, and do, you, do you get the picture? It's an amazing study in self-control. David's at the rock bottom. David has lost his throne. He's lost his throne to his own son. His son is pursuing him. David is experiencing all these trials, all these difficulties in his life. He's at the rock bottom, and instead of fighting, instead of saying, let him, just go at that guy, slit his throat. I can't believe this, this character would do this at this particular time. Instead of saying that, instead of doing all, all those things that we might do in the natural, in, in, the, in the carnal nature, instead of becoming bitter, seeking revenge, whatever it may be, David doesn't do any of those things. He doesn't do any of those things. Well, jump ahead to chapter, um, from chapter 16 to chapter 19. Jump ahead over there to chapter 19. I want you to notice that some time has passed. Some time has passed. Absalom, David's own son, who booted him off the throne, has been brutally murdered. Remember the story? Absalom was running away from the commander's and the, the soldiers of Israel, he got his head caught in a tree someplace, and a commander came along and took his sword out and cut off Absalom, Absalom's head, severing it from his body. And David is uh, now being put back on the throne because his son Absalom is dead. 
and he's their leader. It's a day of coronation again, you might want to say. David has come from the lowest level back up to the highest mountain peak. And wouldn't you know it, once again, who is the first character that we see? It is Shema. Look at the second part of uh, chapter, excuse me, verse 18, second part of 18 here. Look at it with me. When Shema, son of Gera, crossed the Jordan, he fell prostrate before the king and said to him, May the Lord not hold me guilty. Verse 19, Do not remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord, the king, left Jerusalem. May the king put it out of his mind, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. But today I've come here as the first of the whole house of Joseph to come down and meet my Lord and my king. Shema said the three hardest words in the human language. I have sinned. Context, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Please forgive me. We've all been there. When somebody intentionally or unintentionally hurts us or hurts someone that we love, we all know what are we going to do with the Shemas in our life and with the other people agging us on, egging us on. I want you to notice uh, verses 21 through 23. Then Abishad, son of Zero, said, there he is again, this guy that wants to defend David. Shouldn't Shema be put to death for this? He cursed the Lord's anointed. Notice how David responds. What do you and I have in common, you, you sons of Zerah? This day you have become my adversaries. Should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Do I know that, to, don't you know that today I am king over Israel? So the king said to Shema, you shall not die. And the king promised him an oath. Now, what... You know, this this whole thing about when somebody hurts us, somebody offends us, somebody hurts someone that loves us, et cetera, et cetera. You know, we've got all these initial reactions. We've got the anger. We're upset. We tell other people about it. Other people come to our side. Other people come to our defense, whatever it may be, and, and whatever. We don't see any of those knee-jerk reactions by David. How do you do this, Pastor Ron? How could David completely forgive? How could he forgive a reptile, so to speak, like the Shema character? First of all, I want you to notice. He looked to the Lord for help. Notice his focus was on the vertical. He looked to the Lord for help. Whenever anybody offends you or upsets you or says things that you don't like it or whatever it may be and you really get upset about it, say, Lord, quickly say it. Lord, help me. Help me. Help me, God. I need your grace. I need your help. Give me the eternal perspective. Help me to forgive. You and I can handle this, Lord. You take care of the offense. You be my defender. I've, I've discovered great strength when we take the offense immediately to the Lord. The second thing I believe that David did here was he kept in mind his own shortcomings. He kept in mind his own shortcomings, and so was, must we. 
Somebody has said this quote, the humble forgiven makes good forgivers. The humble forgiven makes good forgivers. David knew too well what it meant to be a sinner. It wasn't that long ago that he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. It wasn't that long ago that Nathan the prophet came to him and told him the parable. It wasn't that long ago that Nathan the prophet pointed his finger at David and said, you are the man, you are the sinner, you're the one that has taken an innocent lamb, you're the one that has had a man murdered, you are the one, and David said, I am the man. It wasn't that long ago that David did that. Who are we? This is what Jesus said in a parable. Who are we? All of us who have been forgiven of a $10 million debt. That's what the Bible says. Who are we to hold a $10 debt over somebody's head? Who are we? He focused. He remembered his own shortcomings. And number three. I believe David also had developed a soft heart and a thick skin. A soft heart and a thick skin. Now, instead of fighting the man, instead of defending himself, allowing his men to kill Shema, David never took it personally. You say, Pastor Ron, how can you not take it personally? Somebody's cussing you out. Somebody's swearing at you. Somebody's throwing rocks at you. How can you not take it personally? He had a thick skin and a soft heart. Now, this was the mature David. The immature David, when he was younger, he would have not turned the other cheek. He would have passed the right fist. He would have himself cut this guy off at the knees. But he's developed a soft heart, and a thick skin. Not a sensitive skin. Listen. <laughs> Listen. A soft heart and a thick skin. Do you wear your emotion on your sleeves? When somebody pricks you, does everybody else know about it? How thick is your skin? Oh, I don't like what they said about me. I don't like what they did about me. Oh, I'm just going to remember that forever. I'm going to write in my book of memories. They did this terrible, awful thing to me. I just can't believe it. How could somebody do that at the store? How could they embarrass me in front of those people like that? How could they embarrass me? How thick is your skin? How thick is it? Is it so delicate that the slightest pinprick will damage it? Or do you have thick skin? I want to suggest to you that if you're a leader in your home, if you're a leader in this community, if you're a leader at your workplace, if you're a leader in this church, you have to have a thick skin. You have to. Did you know that a famous pastor and writer a number of years ago, his name is Stuart Briscoe, author of a number of books, Let me just back up a little bit. 
my father-in-law's sister-in-law was involved in district leadership in her denominational church. She said, I'm on a committee that interviews prospective pastoral candidates, people that are going to be involved in ministry. She said to me, do you have any advice for me? And I, You know, I didn't really have anything earth-shattering, but I just got through reading a quote attributed to a famous pastor and author, Stuart Briscoe. And I said to her, this man says that a pastor has to have a mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. That's a good description. It, it really is. And I want to suggest to you that as a layperson, as a person that is mature in the Lord, as a person that is involved in ministry, as a leader in your community, you have to have a thick skin. In fact, I'm, I'm going to guarantee to you that when we bring anybody in any type of leadership position, I'm going to give them that quote. You have to have a thick skin. You just have to. David had a soft heart and a thick skin because he could not afford to take things so personally and to allow the Shemas of this world to get to him. And the Shemas are out there by the dozens. When you walk through the thorns, you have to have heavy boots. You have to have heavy boots and good protection. Would you bow your heads with me and let's pray together.